Michelle! I have so many questions right off the bat. So there is a little bit of violence here. Is this show killing people? Like a whole bunch of people went to sleep and never woke up again. So I took the quiz. Oh, I have anxiety and depression. They're pretty bad. Yeah, I know. Thanks. Yes. I'm, I'm really jealous of people who don't have to listen to themselves all the time because I'm a lot. Is it because you're an android? Diamonds, Michelle. Okay, okay. Just feel like, you know what? I'm gonna give the kids something nice. I'm gonna give them the Yule Log. I'm so proud of us. For those of you who are like, my God, Michelle, you are too much. Chill out. It's McDonald's fault. Bad, 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 bad. Something good has to be coming. And welcome. and welcome to this, which is in agreement, for which we are not ready, on this, our 30th episode. Yay, 30th episode. Woo. Um, I am Catherine. And I am Michelle. And on our podcast every fortnight, we bring you three things. Three of them. A weird three. thing. A pop culture thing. And a research thing. And then we talk about them, we agree about them, and we try to make them all fit together in a nice, meaningful way that you can take with you. Reflect That's what we're going to do. We're going to do it for the 30th time, which I'm so excited It is very exciting. We never would have imagined we were going to get to 30 episodes. And I would say, Michelle, on this our 30th podcast, are you the least prepared you've ever been? Yes, this is the least prepared I've ever been. But it is not a reflection of the longevity of the podcast. It is just a reflection of March is the worst month. Just like from a work perspective, like being in academia, March is the month that you have so much to do. But at the same time, like the weather is getting nice and you want to go outside. And so all this stuff is, it's just, it is just like every March, I just feel like I am the most underwater that I have ever been. And this is the most, this is the Marchiest March I've had in a while. Marchiest March you've marched. I, I, I teach independently um, to homeschooling students and I have never scheduled a fall or spring break into my classes. because I was like, you know, a lot of them are eight week classes. People just pick what they want. Um, and so starting next semester, I am scheduling a one week fall break and a one week spring break into every semester because you just Good. need that midterm like reset. And usually it's not so much a break as like catch up on grading and make yeah. the next lesson plans and get ahead a little bit in case something goes wrong so that you have some cushion. But um, that's still really important as a like just survival mechanism. So I yeah, if you're weightlifting and you do like five reps and you can't do any more, if you stop for a second, you can do more. Yeah, yeah. you just got to rest. Weight Education is no different than weightlifting. Perfect one-to-one. Exactly High five me. Isn't that what like, and there's the Greek, the Greeks are all into. I mean, true. Arete. Air. 
Okay. So on this episode 30. None of that was actually the podcast. That was just no, guys. bonus for you all. I'm thinking in my mind if I'm going to edit it out or not, but nope. it's our 30th episode. So absolutely not. Um, you go first, Michelle. On go our first. Day. Yay. I'm totally <laughs> prepared with the thing. <laughs> So I do have. Isn't it weird when Isn't you it... look at your your table face on a Zoom lamp. camera? <laughs> <laughs> so I did have a weird thing, but then something weird happened to me literally minutes before I came upstairs to get on this call. So I'm switching it up last second. Even better, I love it. So the weird thing that happened to me was. Um, I was making pancake balls in the instant pot because I am t- too strung out and out to, to make regular pancakes. That flipping, that flipping is what it's, what's going to break you this month, this March. I can't, I can't put any extra pressures on myself right now. Like, oh my goodness. Did you burn one side of the pancakes? That's just too much. Too so, much. um, you, you make the batter and you pour them into the little like egg shaped cups and you put it down inside the instant pot with some foil on it and it comes out as like a little like egg shaped pancake and it's it's yummy that sounds Um, delightful jelly in the middle of it yeah so I needed to melt my butter to make my pancakes because I just make it from you know scratch mix you know flour and whatnot and so I needed to melt yeah I'm super fancy fancy in my inability to flip a pancake I go to melt my butter so I put the butter in a little glass dish and I put it in the microwave and I hit the button my microwave makes this god awful sound that I have never heard an appliance make. It's well, no, that's not. I take it back. I have heard an appliance make this sound. I've heard it when there's like a fork stuck inside of the garbage disposal, but that is oh. not the kind of sound you expect your microwave, microwave. to make. In fact, I'm, I was like, I don't even know what it could be doing to make that sound because it's like you know, like metal rattle, like like what. I, I don't know much about the inside of a microwave, but. I don't know what is wrong, but there's smoke coming out of it. Like, okay. So oh, no. <laughs> and it wasn't even in there long enough. Like my butter was literally not even melted at all. Like it was in like for right. not even a second and it has started smoking and making this terrible, terrible sound. So I just unplugged it and um, I looked and there's like a melted hole in the top of my <gasps> microwave. I don't know. Something bad has happened and I will be getting a new microwave is the the point of this story so that I can get to my weird thing. So I was like, Oh, I thought that was the weird thing that your microwave just went crack. Okay. That was, was, you know, at this point I, I had to get a new refrigerator lately. And it seems to me like when you have to get one new appliance, the Mm. other appliances get very jealous and they're like, Oh, you think you can just like throw us out like that. And I wanted to be like, Whoa, microwave. I didn't just throw it out. I put it in the, it's a basement fridge now. It's still, you know, like, but I don't think the microwave was hearing that. The microwave was like, no, nope, you think you can just get rid of us like that? Well, watch me. I'm just going to light myself on fire and melt. Um, Self-immolated in protest yeah. of the, yes, just how the mistreatment in your home. Probably some kind of like labor protest or something. Yeah. Um, but all that to say that I was then scrolling to be like, okay, I'm going to need to order a new microwave. I'm like, you know, I'm just going to pick a microwave. How much do you think a microwave costs? Oh, 
This is a point of contention between me and all the people in my life, which is I have never owned a microwave mm-hmm. and I never care to. And most people go, I don't understand that. How do you live? We did not have one for a long time. And it wasn't on any like principled thing. I was just like, it heats stuff up and I have other things that heat stuff up. Yeah. If I had more than just myself in my life and sometimes my spouse, sometimes he lives with me. Sometimes he doesn't, he doesn't right now. I would probably want a microwave, right? That makes it a lot harder to just heat up one bowl in the oven. And that's a waste of energy also. So I would guess a microwave costs, um, my most beloved microwaves have been around forever, right? They have to be like computers where they've gotten smaller and smaller, cheaper and cheaper, I would assume. So I'm going to guess a microwave is $300. Okay. Okay. Um, so I will first, before I reveal how much a microwave is, I will first say that like, we did not have one for a long time. And the thing that pushed us to getting one again was that our children started, well, in this case, my oldest child started to get old enough to be able to like cook herself some foods, but I don't want her like messy. Like, I mean, at this point she's yeah. seven. Right. And now my younger one is doing that. Like, but they can, you know, make themselves some oatmeal and put it in the, and so it is very useful for that purpose because when they're not melting, they're usually a lot safer than an oven, but I guess maybe I need to rethink that stance. Yeah. So I'm scrolling through the microwave prices. Some of them are $60, $60. Some of them That's are toaster. That's toaster money. Six- Wait. Okay. Okay. Right. That's, that's very alarming. Right. That's like, <laughs> That's an alarming discrepancy in any one product other than like cars. It's not one or the other either. There's like 60, 90, 120, 300, 210, 450. Like there's a huge range of microwaves at a huge range of prices. And I, to be this, to be fair, this happened literally, you know, maybe 30 minutes before we started this podcast. I've not had time to investigate in depth, but from first glance, they do not appear to do anything different from one another. They appear to have a door and you open it and you put some food in and you close it and you push a button and it heats it up. Like maybe there's features of a microwave that I just don't understand, but what could be the difference between, I mean, maybe it's, I guess, I guess this is the fuck around and find out moment of your life with microwaves. (laughs) Well, obviously I already (laughs) found out more than I knew with the smoke billowing out from my one second of butter melting. So maybe I should, but then I I can't remember how much this microwave costs. It's very old, which is probably part of the problem here. Um, But I don't remember shopping for it and being like, oh my goodness, why is there's like, I don't remember there being this discrepancy. Like I remember just being like, oh, here are three microwaves. One of them is slightly bigger and one of them is slightly higher wattage and they have slightly different prices to reflect those differences. But yeah. this is a wide range. And I, I, mean, I just put them in the middle. Like there's this, but that, I mean, you know, that feels it's like, like it's like wine. Never choose the, like, what is it? Second cheapest wine. They're like, everyone chooses the second cheapest wine. And that's actually where they put the wine they want to get rid of. Cause they know psychologically that's what everyone will choose. So should you, um, Choose the cheapest one. Yeah, Over if you want a cheap cheapest? one. Oh yes. Okay. Yeah, if you're if you're looking for cheap, cheaper end, if you're out on the town, just go for cheapest. Don't go for second. Cheapest. Sure. But third cheapest is probably okay. Yeah, then you're getting okay. 
into the just you want you want fancy cheap third cheapest yeah you really just like look i need to get this done and grab a budget yeah here. Yeah, just they know, they know that in your head you're thinking, I can't choose the cheapest. And so, well, yeah, I mean, I remember like for multiple choice tests when I used to teach strategies for it, and I was like, don't choose the smallest number. Like, it's not the smallest one, right? (laughs) Exactly. But with wine and maybe microwaves, you should just go for the cheapest. So, yeah, my weird thing is the cost of microwaves, the end. Now you might think to yourself, Michelle, that's a, that's a stretch of a late, of a weird thing. And there, and surely Catherine's going to bring it home. No, my weird thing is, <laughs> I'm so sorry. I usually feel like weird things are my time to shine. Um, and we, and- we are busy women <laughs> who did not want to disappoint by leaving you without an episode this week, but we truly are struggling with things outside of agreements. Yeah. Well, outside of these four Zoom corners. Um, yeah, we rescheduled. This is not our yeah. usual. We usually record on Thursdays and we had to move it. We both, we both this reached the out to each other. first time we've ever had to do that. So ever. We, and it the wasn't space, because it was, yeah, yeah. The so, space of agreement time is like sacred and we clear it, but we both reached out to each other almost simultaneously to be like, I'm not pregnant. I, and we were both willing to show up. Like we were both like, it just, I just need you to know that like it's, <laughs> but we were both doing it. We're like, we should probably just reschedule it then. But then I, yeah. I texted you today and I was like, I don't think extra time helps. <laughs> like just... And I said, me either, <laughs> me neither. And here I'm going to put it into action. I actually had time. I had some time today to change this. And I stared down the barrel of my weird thing and said, no, I still choose you. I still want to do this. So um, <laughs> I don't know why I want to do this. <laughs> you have to because I know I know um so I have been watching I have um did you watch Gossip Girl the original no. Gossip Girl I got really when it came out back in the day I was in grad school for the whole time my master's and then my PhD the whole run of Gossip Girl so I was um probably older than the target age range, but I don't know, but I loved it. I got very obsessed with Gossip Girl. And then it was put on Netflix about, I want to say a few years ago, they've taken it down since sadly. And I rewatched all of Gossip Girl. I, I, I have watched Gossip Girl in many stages of my life. Recently, I've decided that I need to share Gossip Girl with my spouse. And so we have been slowly very slowly over more than a year and we're in season four I think been watching Gossip Girl there are parts that don't hold up none of it holds up because and yet all of it holds up because it's it's a soap opera it's just a soap opera it is shot like a soap opera the plot lines are soap opera but it is also so of its time we've talked about this on the podcast where Things from not that long ago, if you rewatch them, we're just like, wow, we have made some progress in this world. Like that should not exist anymore. Especially when it comes to like relationships and how women are treated in certain shows. So this show treats women like objects constantly and that's bad. But all this to say, I'm rewatching Gossip Girl. I'm enjoying it. One of the more soapy plot lines, and I do need to explain this to get to my weird thing. 
is that one of the characters who is a mom character of the teens that are running around is involved in a relationship with the father character of more of the teens that are running around, but they were, they're a very good couple. We are rooting for them and they're on again, off again. Then finally they get married. Everyone's happy. But then there's a whole subplot where this character named Lily gets That's cancer. That's the mom character? The mom character is Lily. Lily gets cancer and her ex-husband is a doctor. And for some reason, she sneaks away. She doesn't tell her new husband she has cancer. She just goes to her ex-husband who's an oncologist. And he's like, okay, I'll treat your cancer. She's in remission. She comes back. Everyone thinks she's cheating with the ex-husband, but no, no, I just had cancer and I didn't want to worry everyone. Okay. And then very soap opera-y, she, the ex-husband doctor oncologist comes to town and is trying to win her back. And he's doing all these dastardly things. And then all of a sudden she has cancer again and she's sick and everyone's like, oh no. And so he's like, you have to come with me. We have to run away together so I can treat your cancer, leave your husband so I can treat your cancer because you're sick. Cause that makes sense in the soap opera world. It is revealed that he is giving her medication to mimic the symptoms of her cancer and she doesn't have cancer. She's fine. So he's like, what is that called? Um, when you make people sick. Munchausen by proxy. Munchausen by proxying her. So Michelle, you might say, where's your weird thing? This sounds pop culture. Why are you just telling us the plot of Gossip Girl? Um, Gossip Girl came out in the 2010s around then. And I just could not get over this. I laughed and laughed and laughed that they have to go and get the drug tested to find out what he's giving her to prove it's not cancer medicine. Do you know where this is going? I have fear that I do. To prove that this is not cancer medicine, to prove that it is medicine making her sick and mimicking her symptoms. And so they come back from the lab and they're like, yeah, it's this medicine. And it's, uh, it's not even usually used for people. It's used for horses. (laughs) And he's been giving her ivermectin. No. And they're just like, oh man, if only we knew what that would mean later. I don't know. It's the moments like that where I'm like, man, we're just, we're just in a simulation and it's lazy writing. It's just lazy writing. I just watching the gossip girl being like, she's taking (gasps) ivermectin. Which would be a very different Gossip Girl plot today where Lily takes ivermectin because she's the 1% and doesn't trust vaccines. Just like, wow, this just reads so different now. Like the horse, the horse medicine, the horse dewormer that he gives her to make her sick. And now, now ivermectin, as we know, is this, that this is, weird I mean, that is flip. a really weird thing. I, it was so weird to be like, wait. And I, I know I was almost like, why does ivermectin sound so familiar? Why do I know that yeah, drug? Yeah. Well, um, my pop culture thing is going to be really short. So I'm going to add a little something to your weird thing. Cause you were talking about how, like, you know, the show 
in a lot of ways just doesn't hold up and the things have changed so fast and our standards have changed so fast. So do you watch The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel? I do. I have not started the new season. So, okay. So that's actually what I wanted to talk about. I also have not started the new season and I don't know if I'm going to. And I just, so I've been reading a couple of um, some analytical articles about like the problem with Midge and the problem. And they're like, you know, she, they're just not making her have to take any accountability for herself. And even the episode that was like supposed to, and again, I have not seen this episode yet. I have not, but um, spoiler for the end of, was it season Season four is what's up now. Yeah, there's been three seasons. So the end of season three, I mean, it ended with her just having behaved terribly. And I felt like we were, and we might've even talked about this on the show. I felt like we were supposed to feel sympathetic for her when she's left on the, you know, the tarmac as the plane takes off without her. And I just felt zero sympathy. I was like, what did you expect to happen? Like, what? why would you not think that this was going to, this is, this is the mildest response you could get for the behavior that you put forward. And it just sounds like they're not going to deal with that. And so a couple of the um, articles I was reading were comparing her to Rory Gilmore from Gilmore Girls, because it's the same writer, right? It's Amy Sherman Palladino. And we've talked on here about how the, a year in in the life, um, I am going to go with the fan theory that all of Gilmore Girls was just Rory Gilmore's book that she writes at the end of A Year in the Life. And so it's all through her own sort of egotistical perspective and nobody else perceived her that way. Like that's just her like, I, like I am special. Um, I like that we, yeah, like a beautiful mind her up. I like that But I don't think that that was the original intention of the show. I think that that just yeah. gives me a like, and I really, and. I really liked that show. And I know a lot of people really like liked it when it came out, but um, her Amy Sherman Palladino's protagonist just seemed to be like kind of stunted and to not really mature and be able to deal with their shit. Like they just, they seem to just be kind of stuck in this sort of immature juvenile full of potential, right? Like that's really part of a really important part of it is like, could be so great and then just fall short but then that's not actually the plot either because i mean that could right, be right because she doesn't yeah she doesn't address it it just gets wallowed in i will say my favorite amy sherman palladino show is bunheads for that very reason because she does wallow in it that character the main character of bunheads is a very clear f up she's like wasted her talent she's you know very talented she wallows around. She doesn't have direction, doesn't pursue it. And there are repercussions of that. And she has to live by them. And she isn't doing well. And she does fail a lot. And she is leading a failing life. And I think it was supposed to get picked up for another season. But I'm glad it didn't because the way the show ends seems like a great commentary on that because it ends. Have you seen Bunheads? I haven't, but you can spoil the ending. She teaches ballet because it's not an ending. I think they weren't supposed to be, but I think it works for like an Amy Sherman Palladino character where she has this moment of triumph on a small scale, but then she teaches ballet classes to children and she was a great ballerina, wasted her talent. Now she teaches in a small town and they basically, for various reasons, are going to get rid of her, but all the ballet students love her 
And they have a moment where the ballet students literally get up and do the, oh, captain, my captain thing. Cause they're going to follow her anywhere. Right. And I do oh. love that trope. She ends up accidentally macing them all and everyone goes to the hospital and that's the end of the whole show. Oh my goodness. <laughs> that's the most depressing metaphor. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, I think, I mean, obviously Amy Sherman Palladino, whether it's your cup of tea or not, is a talented writer, like writes fantastic dialogue, writes these really great quirky, interesting side characters, but she seems fixated on this, like full of potential but not reaching it special protagonist. Yeah, who gets, just... who gets to bumble and bumble and bumble and fail up in a lot of ways. They are talented, right? There's yeah. talent there, but- Yeah, but maybe not quite as much as it is as they think they have or the, the people. Yeah. Like, I don't know. I think it's more, like, I don't know. Like, have confidence in yourself and your abilities. I think it's almost, it's more that everybody else kind of treats them with this, special care that like yeah yeah. they're allowed to be more bumbling than I think most people would be allowed to be yeah I I don't know if I'm gonna watch it or not and it's a shame because I was really enjoying it but that the end of the end of the season three and the feeling that like oh they're not gonna make her deal with this and then feeling like that's being confirmed in the critiques that have come out so far I'm like I just I don't want to watch somebody not have to deal with that like I don't want to watch somebody do something destroy that someone's, yeah yeah just destroy someone's life and blow it up and then be like oh but did i do me. that yeah yeah <laughs> okay Okay. So that was very pop cultural. Let's keep sliding in. Slide What's right pop on in. My pop culture thing is short unless I end up rambling, which is fully possible. Um, my pop culture thing is, did you know Tamagotchis have come back? Yes. They're cool. They're here. So my daughter spent her own money on one, her own money. She has an iPhone and an <laughs> iPad. What? Doing this. You had a lava lamp. But like, what? what is the better replacement for a lava lamp? Like, I did not have. I guess that's true. That's not a one-to-one. Yeah. Like, I don't think it, I mean, it's not like a nostalgia, like I'm trying to throw, maybe it kind of is, but I don't think it is for her, right? Like, because, you know, the 90s fashion and stuff is coming back too. So maybe there's some but of that. she sort of doesn't like, see but, that as yeah, nostalgia. Yeah, I don't think that's that, not, that is not, yeah. yeah. But they, like her and her, you know, 11, 10 and 11 year old peer group, they are excited about these. And so they have these fancy new ones that are like $60. They can like take pictures and you do the Tamagotchis range in price from $60 to about 500. And those are real animals. (laughs) They do range in price. The, but it's like 20 to 60. The 60 I'm like, what does a $60 one do? Well, so this is, I guess, I guess. If you're going to buy one, then the kind that my daughter bought makes more sense to me because the $60 one is like in color and it's fancier and you can like take pictures of you with your Tam, like maybe kind of like the way that you can do like Pokemon Go where it's like the, you know, your Tamagotchi and you in a selfie or whatever. Um, And it can link to another Tamagotchi without Wi-Fi, kind of like, you know, Furbies would talk to each other or whatever. Uh-huh. So, so you can, but but that's not the one my daughter wanted. My daughter wanted the 
remake of the original Tamagotchi, which I don't know how much you remember of your. Oh yeah. I remember everything. Couldn't keep one alive to save my life. I was so bad at keeping them alive, but I also remembered that I rejected the Tamagotchi pretty quickly and went to the Gigapet. Remember that? (gasps) Gigapet. Yes. Because the Gigapet was the far superior device, even in the moment when these devices were big, because the Tamagotchi was so simple. And so like, just like feed it, water it, feed it. And like, um, but I was thinking about it because we watched, uh, we watched turning red. Have you seen it yet? I've heard so much about it and I'm so excited to see it, but I have not yet. So we watched it this weekend. Um, and I, I really, I really adored it, but there is a Tamagotchi subplot in it because it's set in the early two thousands. So, and they're, oh. they're tweens in the early two thousands. So it was like all the rage of the first time around. And, um, they, this I don't think this will spoil anything in a way that would make it a problem I mean uh, you can it's a Disney movie right or Pixar but yeah. I I the spoilers of that fine yeah I'm fine with that so she they her there's a peer group of four girls and one of them does something that upsets the other three rightfully they're very upset with her especially one of them is like you know well you're we're, you're done you've abandoned us and then they hear the beeping sound and she's like, is that my Tamagotchi? Have you been keeping it alive for me all this time? And they're like, yes, she has. And that's the sign that like, even though she's acting all tough because they're upset with her, that really like the love is still there. And she's Aww. been pouring it all into keeping her Tamagotchi alive for her while they were on the outs or whatever. Um, and so I just, but I, I guess just my pop culture thing is just, I'm just fascinated by this return of this very simple technology I remember being bored with it when I had, like, I mean, this was before you could even play like snake on a Nokia phone, right? Right. Like, and I remember being bored with it then. So the fact that like my child who has 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 Minecraft Minecraft and Roblox and video editing software and all this stuff at her fingertips is like yeah no I, I want that little egg with a dot in it that I can that's feed. so interesting they, that is fascinating to me I remember being bored by Tamagotchi and I don't know I don't yeah. I'm interested keep us updated on how long that that phase lasts holds the interest I will sp- say speaking of that nostalgia Probably every fourth episode of Gossip Girl finds a way to make them all play Guitar Hero. <laughs> so, oh, Guitar Hero and I Dance Dance how... Revolution. Oh, Dance Dance Revolution. I had, the, like, I had the dance pads for Dance Dance Revolution. I hope Furbies make a comeback. Those are. Mm-mm. I love the. Oh, okay, oh okay. They were so annoying. I... They were, and they annoyed me when I had no other, you know, children or pets of my own to keep alive. So. I was already annoyed by them when they were my only responsibility. So I can only yeah. imagine how I would feel about them now. You'd probably kick a Furby now. Probably. Just kick it in its Furby face down the stairs. <laughs> <laughs> You'd put it in your microwave. <laughs> so my pop culture is something I try not. I, I try. I don't want to do this on this podcast because I want there to be like a deeper thing. And again, this is something that I had, we had time to change it, but I'm like, no, this is too good, which is basically, it's just a recommendation. But I also think the fact that we've kind of 
I don't want to say phoned it in, but obviously we're lacking the depth of our normal work here, but I think it's going to make the end when we have to bring it all together. I know. <laughs> really interesting. So I'm, let's just play uh, this out. <laughs> ivermectin. Oh yeah. So, um, but I, before we started recording, you said something and we were having a serious talk and I gasped at you and you're like, what? But now you'll see why. Yeah. This is basically, I want to open it up into a larger conversation with you that I find interesting but this is a recommendation and this is just so good that I can't not just recommend it to people because it's so good. It has been filling my life with joy and everyone I recommend it to, we just talk about it. They love it. They cruise through it. It's so fun. And it is a podcast called Normal Gossip. And the Normal Gossip podcast, can't recommend it highly enough is basically this woman named Kelsey McKinney wrote a New Yorker article a while ago about how she loves to gossip. She struggled with this her whole life. Her parents were really religious and she always noticed in especially religious settings where like being a gossip is like so bad, don't do that. And she was really interested in the morality of what is it to gossip? What are the ethics of gossiping? she really thought about it. She wrote this interesting article where she's like, well, gossip isn't just morally, it's not just morally and ethically wrong. That's it's too simple. And talked about all the ways it can be useful. And like, what's the plus of gossip and how it helps people bond. Yeah. There's all this evolutionary theory. Gossip is part of what makes us social creatures. Right. Bonding, entertaining, things like that, but also really interesting discussions of how it can break down toxic power structures from within. Like you can have whisper networks that people know like, oh, well, don't go like that guy, that boss, don't don't make sure you're not alone with him at night or this guy, you know, wrote that article and then started a podcast, which is normal gossip. And basically the podcast was started partially because of that explanation, exploration, but also because during the pandemic over the past few years, she really was like, what do I miss socially? And everyone's like, well, I miss being near other people. I miss bars. She didn't realize how much she would miss gossiping. There's just the space for gossiping isn't there. We aren't out in the world as casually to do yeah, things. Yeah, and gossiping gossip. formally feels like, ooh, like I don't want to like type this or say, you know, like. Right, <laughs> put it in writing, no. She started this podcast where people could just phone in and they anonymize gossip. So she could get gossip and then she um, has guests on. The guests are great. She has um, tons of tons of people I really love. Josh Gondelman, Lacey Mosley, Sam Sanders. So many great people are the guests and they are very good. And so they talk about what is it? Are you a gossip? What does it mean to gossip? But the best part of it is that they have just this And it is normal gossip, petty gossip, not celebrity gossip. Um, People just call in and she relays the gossip. They comment on it. It's excellent. The first episode is about a grad school cohort who go camping and the, the, the drama that ensues from the camping of graduate students. There's another episode about this just weird family of weirdos 
crazy neighbors, right? Amazon boxes that people don't pick up, small gossip, but it is the delight of it, of listening to it, because I do love gossip. I'm a, I, I want to be a good person and I don't like talking poorly about people. And they talk about this, like, what's the difference between like hearsay and gossip or whatever. Um, but man, I love gossiping and I do like being catty sometimes. And I try not to be, and I want to talk to you about what do you think of gossip? But you made me laugh because we were talking and there was a moment where you went, Michelle, I don't want gossip. I don't want to sound gossipy. <laughs> and I've actually in the, since we held off, I've, I've written down every instance, not to call you out just because I love it where you do go. I don't want to talk shit. I'm not. I don't want to gossip. <laughs> And it, it happens a lot. <laughs> and it makes me so happy. Well, I mean, so I think, I mean, obvious, I think that every human I've ever met gossips to some extent, right? Like, I think that it's one of the ways that we kind of just figure out like, well, what, how do I process my understanding of this person, right? Like, I think that that's part of what the public, not, I guess, semi-public act of figuring that out is, right? Um, and it's probably like evolutionarily, it's probably like a practice in like figuring out trust and how much yeah. you're willing to like, um, you know, how much you're willing to be open around a person or not, right? Both the person that you are gossiping to and the person that you're gossiping about, you're kind of like figuring out boundaries and figuring out trust and figuring out all that, which I mean, I think that serves a purpose. I don't, I, I don't feel good when I gossip, like even like it's, it, it does make me feel bad. And I, I guess I just have, I don't know if it's a moral hang up from, you know, this woman was saying that it can't, I don't think it came out of like a religious thing with the way that she was talking about. I don't know where that comes from. I don't know where my sense that like gossip, I think it's an authenticity thing. Like I, I want, I like the idea that I show up to everybody with the same version of myself, which I know is not true. Right. Like I know that that is that nobody does that we all are, changing ourselves, you know, like you talk about like Irving Goffman's presentation of self, like you are constantly looking at ways to kind of put yourself into the drama of whatever situation you're in. And so you show up as a different character in different settings and different things. But I think that I feel the most at ease when I just know that I'm being a consistent character in all of those things and gossip yeah. often feels like it's at odds with that. Right. Because then it's like, well, yeah, it's something you wouldn't want someone else to hear. Yeah. And so if you're doing something that to someone that is for entertainment and enjoyment, that to a whole other party would be hurtful. Right. And that's the other thing that sometimes it is there. A lot of times it is hurtful, right? Because you're talking in a certain way. It has negative connotations. I said, like, I don't like talking about people behind their back in a way. Um, I'd rather just not. I guess, talk about people. I don't like doing it. I feel bad when I do it. And yet if someone else wants to gossip to me, oh, I love it the most just to take it all away. Yeah. I don't mind. I don't think I mind when other people gossip to me though. I do think, no, that's not even entirely true. I was going to say, I assume that if somebody is gossiping to me, they will also gossip about me, yes. but I, but I don't think that's always true. Like I think that there I are have levels. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, when I say I'm like, great with Goffman stuff, again, we've known each other for decades yeah. of our lives. And I think that's slightly different with like, we know 
But if I just met this person, if this person is an acquaintance to me and they're just spilling all this dirt on somebody else, I'm like, okay, well, this is what you're doing. (laughs) When when I'm I'm not at the table, you're doing this about me, right? Like, I am never confiding to you about anything. Exactly. And you kind of think less of them. I I do. I don't like gossips, but I love gossip. I love gossip. I don't like gossip, not gossips. That's yeah. but that is why this podcast is so perfect. Because you don't because have you to, to just, you don't have to trust them with anything. You just get to listen. I, I'll, I'll check just it out. get to hear it. It's so well, great. And I do think, I mean, what is almost any of our entertainment, if not some way to feel like you're getting to, especially anything that has like even the slightest veneer of reality TV to it, right? Like we both. I'm just going to, I'm going to, I'm going to put us out there. We both just watched love is blind season two. I mean, what is that? If not trying to scratch the itch of gossip, right? Like, yeah, exactly. Exactly. Okay. Okay. It's voyeurism, voyeurism into a part of people's lives. You're not supposed to know. This was going to be my pop culture thing. This, so this episode where we, where we didn't have stuff is going to end up being like our longest episode. Um, (laughs) Oh, why just go? This was going to be my pop culture thing before I changed it. I, and I just didn't know how to like word it well enough, like to make it clear and snappy. So I didn't know how to bring it up, but I think it connects really well with what you're talking about here. The one thing I could not get over in love is blind because I'm just, I have to just take it at face value, right? I have to just say like, these people are sincere. They are trying to get married. They want to find their soulmate because otherwise it's not enjoyable to watch. Like I just have to like, I come into it with that assumption So then what do they think is going to happen when the person that they marry watches this show later when they're in the, like, you know, the confessional camera style and like, well, what I was really thinking was blah, 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 blah. Like there, this person that you are ostensibly trying to marry is going to hear you say that at some point, like, what, what are you thinking? And I just can't, I can't wrap my head around it. I think it's easy. I think they're not thinking. I think the producers are so good at their job and the ability for people to get totally desensitized to cameras, even when they are confessional cameras to remember what they're doing and why they're doing it time and time again on reality TV, that has to be it that people kind of forget. And and the producers are so good at their job, but being like, this is your life. You're in this that they just forget that there's an outside to it. So you think that's there's what like I a producer, think. they're like, oh man, that had to have been so hard for you. Why don't you open up to me? And so yeah. then they get them to be spilling their guts and then they just edit. Because like yep. so many of those participants, I'm like, if you do manage to marry this person and they hear this, you're getting a divorce. Like <laughs> also what level of what level of self-awareness does someone have if they're going on reality TV to start? Maybe the producers don't have that hard of a job of removing the last vestiges of it. Although, did you watch the reunion episode? I did not watch the reunion episode. There was a moment where they asked one of the couples that did decide to stay married, did you watch the show together? And one of the men who were talking, talking shit on the woman he eventually married, um, his face dropped and went, no, we haven't watched it. Um, She's not going to watch it. We don't don't need to watch it. We're we're not going to watch the show. He had watched it. Obviously, yeah, right? well, he knew. And she went, yeah, we decided as a couple, it was just better not to watch it. And he's like, yeah, we're not watching. <laughs> so, 
So the rest of your you life, woke up rest and of realized. your life, like there's YouTube clips exist. Like you don't think somebody's going to mail her. A cl- oh my gosh. This is- Someone's going to text her and be like, quote unquote. Blah, 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 blah. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it was especially bad for the, um, what was his name that he called his fiance deeps, which drove me a little crazy too. Oh, Shakti? Uh, shake, 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 shake. Yeah. So like the things that he was saying about her, I was like, oh my God, like what, what is wrong with you? If she ever hears you say these things, but I was, you know, thinking yeah. it. Yeah. I think he was just such a narcissist that he doesn't consider people outside of himself, human beings. And just is like, yeah, she loves me. Who wouldn't want to be with me? They're so lucky. So I can call her my unfuckable aunt for hours and yeah. hours. Yeah. And it won't matter over and over again oh my god but she just isn't attractive at all like right like you guys see how so, not attractive she is right a very attractive woman very attractive. any standards so yeah um well i will say one of my favorite favorite people i didn't know he was one of my favorite people but then he was on this podcast and i looked him up and he writes for a lot of shows i really like um josh gondelman he's the nicest person and he was like well i like to think of gossip you're talking to someone and they don't know, you know, someone and they're talking about that person, but in a good way, like, they're like, Oh, that person just wrote this book. And I love this book. And I don't know if you've read it or, you know, them, but this book changed my life. And you're sitting there and you get to go, I get to take this back to my friend and gossip. And the host was like, that's not gossip. That's not gossip. He, but that's like, well, He's like, it's two people talking about someone else. They're not present. And he really put a, a defense forward for nice gossip and I okay. like that. I don't I'm not convinced but I'll have to listen maybe I'll hear it in yeah. his own argument season. I would recommend to anyone if you don't have time to listen to the whole season it gets really good episode four and beyond they okay. hit their stride so if you gotta if you gotta cut if you can't watch it all go like episode four five six seven it just oh it's so good <laughs> my research thing is going to fit really well with this yay let's let's do research all right so my research thing is it's kind of sad um have you willa cather's short story paul's case have you read this no but i love i have fond memories of willa cather so uh paul's case which if you haven't read this story from decades ago i'm gonna spoil it for you all um so paul's case is a incredibly sad short story about a teenage boy it opens up with him in in fact i'm gonna i'm gonna pull it up hold on it opens up with him getting suspended from school and it has a third person narrator that is sort of detached from it. And one of the, one of the most notable things about this story from a literary perspective is it is almost entirely exposition. There's only like three lines of dialogue and they're not really substantial. It's almost entirely just this narrator describing this boy and the way that he sees the world. But the narrator embeds all these little clues in there that like the way that the boy sees the world is not the way the world actually is. So he's getting suspended and it says, 
His clothes were a trifle outgrown and the tan velvet on the collar of his open overcoat was frayed and worn, but for all that, there was something of the dandy about him and he wore an opal pin in his neatly knotted black foreign hand and a red carnation in his buttonhole. This latter adornment, the faculty somehow felt, was not properly significant of the contrite spirit befitting a boy under the ban of suspension. And so there's just this sense that he's like, just always in trouble, right? Everybody's like, oh, what are we going to do with this kid? And that no one at school likes him. Everyone at school kind of sees him as, you know, like, like he carries himself, like he's better than them. And then he goes immediately from getting suspended to his job as an usher at the, the symphony or some sort of music. Like, I think it's a symphony. And it's like the only time that he's ever felt alive, but he doesn't want to be a musician. He wants to be the type of person that is there. And then like his English teacher comes and has tickets for the event. And he's like, it almost ruined it. But you know, she's here because she has no more right to watch this than I do. Right. So like that he believes there's some better people out there and that he's supposed to be among the better people. And then, so he eventually gets in so much trouble at school that he gets kicked out of school entirely. And his father, he's, he does not have a mother. His father bans him from ushering at the, oh, and he also spent a lot of time at a local theater uh, had had become close friends with one of the actors in a local theater, like in a local troupe. And um, he got banned from the theater, got banned from the symphony. And um, is his dad puts him to work in some place where he, he has access to like the banking because of what happens next. So not like menial, you know, like not hard labor, some sort of right. white collar-ish job, right? Yeah. Um, and so he plots very carefully on the day that he can do it when he'll have the most time and he steals a lot of money like over a thousand dollars and hops a train to new york and goes and checks himself into the fanciest hotel that he can and buys like silk robes to wear and fills his room with flowers and just he's living the life that he believes he was meant to live for this time and then there is a scene where he meets up with like a freshman from San Francisco. And it says that they, you know, stayed out till seven in the morning together, but then they were kind of cold to each other by the time that they were partying in the elevator or whatever. Um, and then he sees in the newspaper that his case has, you know, like people have been trying to figure out what happened with like where he is with this money, that his father has apologized and repaid the money. And that, um, he had been spotted in New York and his dad was on his way to try to find him. And so he's like, oh, so it's going to be worse than jail. I'm going to have to go back to that life, right? I'm going to have to go back to that middle-class existence and this house and all those people that I hate. And so he goes and he throws himself in front of a train and he kills himself at the end of the story. And so it is a terribly tragic story. Um, And I'm teaching it to a, a group of high schoolers in a literature class. Um, and it's part of a, a section on unreliable narration. So um, we're really focusing on like the way that Willis Cather has this narrator describing Paul's perspective on what's happening, but embeds all these little clues that like, that's just not accurate. So for instance, um, the newspaper article had interviewed some of the people that like he thought were such like high society and like the, the woman, the singer at the symphony is like a single mom trying to work to take care of her kids. And the actor that he thought was like, just so amazing. Like, you know, like I'm, you know, a small town actor and a little troop, like this is a side gig for me. Like, I don't know what, like just that he's not accurately perceiving the world. Right. And then like, he, he has such disdain for all the people who live on his street, um, as kind of just these bumbling fools, but there's, 
lots of signs that they're just hardworking people just trying to live a good life. And like his dad, he thinks his dad hates him and that his dad would rather, um, there's at one point where he comes home late. And so he tell he makes a plan that he's going to tell his dad that he got caught in the rain and that he's going to sleep over at a friend's house. But instead he sneaks into the basement and he has this, like, I don't know if you'd call it a fantasy or like a delusion where his dad comes down the stairs and mistakes him for a burglar and shoots him dead. And then, um, then, you know, that doesn't happen. So then he starts having this fantasy that like his dad comes down the stairs and realizes it's his son, but then later wishes that he would have thought it was a burglar. So he had had an excuse to kill him. So there's like all this like signs that he, he thinks the world hates him. Right. Yeah. But like his dad pays the money back and tries to go and get him. And is like, you know, yeah. I'm going to go to like, I don't think that's how his dad feels about him. Right. Um, and so there's just all these signs, like the way that he sees the world and the way that the world is are not aligned. Right. And so the, my research thing from this is not just describing the plot of the story to you all. Um, my research thing is that a lot of people have read Paul as gay and they say that the reason that he is so out of place in the world and so upset mm. is that he is dealing with the homophobia of the world around him. But people have often read Willa Cather herself as homophobic. Um, but they also think that she was a lesbian. And so the, my research thing is about her letters. Do you know this story? No. Okay. So I'm going to open up an article. Um, so she died in 1947 and she left behind very, very strict, like do not, none of my work can be adapted to theater or film. Mm. No one can read my letters. Right. Like it's just, like a lot of them were supposed to be destroyed and they were not. Um, and for a long time, so this very bizarre thing happened where they were available in libraries for scholars studying her work, but they weren't allowed to cite them. Like they weren't allowed to quote them. So they could go and read them and they could talk about what they had read in them, but they were not allowed to quote them. So there was all this like really wild debate around her sexuality because a scholar would be like, well, in her letters, she says, blah, 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 blah. But the interpretation of it. Yeah. Oh my gosh. That's so fascinating in and of itself for research An unquotable archive. Oh my gosh. That That sounds like that sounds like a Borges novel, man. <laughs> so it stressed me out. Cause I was like, how would anyone yeah. ever know? Like, <laughs> like yeah. you can't prove your points. <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. Then her, I guess, nephew, who was the last executor of her estate died in 2011. So all of her letters got published. And so this this archive that had been secret for so long. Um, and so it is widely believed at this point that she had romantic relationships with women um, for long periods of time, at least three different women over the course of her life. And that probably a lot of what people read as homophobia in her work is her own, like trying to deal with her own identity. Gotcha. She did also uh, for a while, she went by William. Um, and she did tend to wear like very masculine hairstyles and very masculine clothing. And so there were some questions of whether she was also like gender fluid or, um, like trying to figure out kind of where she fell on the gender spectrum. Um, and it's just really, really interesting. And it's interesting to me to be reading this story with today's modern teens and trying to talk through like 
all those layers um because i i don't know if it's fair to read paul as as a gay teen if that's why he he killed himself but we we do know that gay teens today still have higher suicide rates and higher rates of depression and that sense of being rejected and that the best way to prevent suicide and depression in gay teens is to affirm their identities and provide them spaces where they can you know be themselves and and have that identity available and so I think that reading it that way whether that was the intended way of reading it or not offers a a relevant way to discuss it with you know right and I mean you obviously you feel outside of your community and the people that you like you feel like you don't fit in for some reason right so there's a there's a a metaphor for that that you can tease out and talk about like well you know what happens for somebody who doesn't feel like they fit in, who doesn't feel like they're, they're able to identify the way that others identify them. Um, but I also, I, I'm just really interested in the story from like an ethical perspective of like, was it okay to publish those letters? Like she yeah. wanted them destroyed. And at what point, I mean, there's kind of just this sense of like, well, enough time has passed. Like her wishes are no longer the valid wishes, but like, is there a time? And it made me think about, do you think it's even her wishes aren't, the valid wishes about the validity of her wishes or that if she understood how we would see, I say this when there's like a freaking, you couldn't teach this lesson in Florida, right? Right. So I want to say my argument is, is it about the validity of her wishes or that we understand times have changed and we're more accepting of this, right? In a way that maybe if she had been, if she could see the future, she'd be like, do not open till x date when people won't think less of me for this but i say that in the same breath that i'm like we're still it's much better it's much better but it's still not it's just really fucked up that it's not as accepted as it should be and i just i guess i also just think about like think about all the records that you leave because these were private letters right these weren't like her essays these weren't like what what if all your text threads what if you make some sort of really famous work uh, at some point yeah. and then somebody just feels like they deserve access to every text thread you've ever created because you're famous and important and i just don't know i mean like i definitely see the literary value in having access to those and i think that it has provided a lot of important and interesting scholarship but i also just wonder like does being somebody of literary or artistic merit remove the right to have like a private life and what about the people those letters were too like they they weren't even you know I didn't even think about that that that's yeah that's like outing people who don't have any say one way or the other and even I think, and this is why it made me think of the gossip conversation, because even if it wasn't at such high stakes of like, are you outing somebody for their sexuality when they didn't, didn't want to be outed in that way? But I also just like, I don't want, and I don't have a lot of secrets. I'm a pretty open book, but I just don't want everybody to know all of my thoughts. Or well, all if convers- people are studying you in that depth, things that aren't secrets, they could start, right? Like yeah. a line that means nothing an inside joke with someone else. You said, right, you try to be the same person for everyone, but you're not. So some some sort of joke you would make with someone, an inside joke that is just from levels and levels of 
things you've shared together that then someone could see and be like, well, the only way to interpret this is. And then you're not there to defend yourself because it only came up after, you know, not only are you dead, but the last person in your estate has died. Like just. Yeah. Which the thing that was going to be my research thing. Oh my God, this is going to be the longest episode ever. Oh my goodness. (laughs) The thing that was going to be my research thing was, or my um, weird thing was this book that I actually, I think I texted you and told you you should read it. You did. It's on my good read. I have mixed feelings about it, um, but I do think it's worth reading. It's called Humankind by Rutger Bregman. uh, And it's it's subtitled A Hopeful History. I disagree with that subtitle. I do not think that it is what it says it is. It's supposed to be like this, like look at humans to say um, we are not, there's this idea that our inherent human nature is terrible. And, you know, it's like Lord of the Flies. If you leave us all on an island, we're going to kill each other because we have to have the laws and rules of society in order to maintain order. We are terrible beasts who are only out for ourselves if left to our own devices. And so this is questioning that on the deepest level, right? Like he's like, I don't think Because I love how that pretends like um, society was born from an egg that some animal we don't know existed hatch society and societal rules. It's not like we right, the masses right. slowly built those because we chose to on, on pieces of lands that are islands, basically. But there is, um, so Easter Island. There, mm, yes, yes. So there was a longstanding belief that the people on Easter Island murdered each other in this terrible bloody civil war and drug trenches and split people into two separate groups and just bludgeoned each other to death and then cannibalized one another there's just these terrible terrible stories and they looked into it in a lot of detail and they found out that none of that was true and that it was all <laughs> read from uh, let me let me see if i can find the So where did Cook make this scathing judgment? Where can we find this quote that fits so neatly with the narrative of Easter Island's collapse and even made it into the hallowed pages of the scientific journal Nature? Jared Diamond cites as his source, Paul Bond and John Flinley, authors of the book Easter Island, Earth Island, but they in turn cite none. I decided to try tracking down the mysterious quote myself. (gasps) After a long day in the library, I found it in a dry book written for an academic readership in 1961. Subject? The Norwegian expedition to Easter Island, author Thor Heyerdahl, that's right, the source of Cook's mangled quotation was none other than the Norwegian adventurer and champion of some rather harebrained ideas. This is the same man who just published a popular bestseller in which he fantasized that the island was originally populated by long-eared Incas before being inundated by short-eared Polynesian cannibals. The same Thor Heyerdahl who recast Cook's harmless and friendly islanders as a population of primitive cannibals. This is how myths are born. So just this yeah. line, like- got- It's like, it's like um, Roanoke, right? The Roanoke colony that, um, that they are like, oh, clearly something terrible happened. It was ghosts or like something, something mystical and metaphysical happened. Or they all killed each other, right? Yeah, or someone like, else. No, they got really in cold in the winter. And not even that. They figured out like really well what happened, which was, well, maybe I interrupted you and you're gonna say no, it. Go but yeah, that they just went off. Um, they they were struggling like so many colonists that they didn't quite know how to survive in in what is now America. And um, yeah, winter came, they were starving to death, and a indigenous tribe came and helped them, you're and like, they oh. just 
Let me show you what clothes you need to wear and what food you can eat. And they just went on, they're like, come with us. And they integrated into their society, right? And they married them and they had children and they're just, that's what they are now. But like, yeah, the mindset we have of like, are are just, you know, like colonialism. Ghosts must have taken them. Like they would never, it's only, it's only a forward motion of white people winning and being more white. In this book, he mentions how- so many people, especially women in the colonial time, if they were captured by natives or ended up like wounded and getting, and getting helped by natives, like so many of them, if they were living with natives. When people would come to rescue them and be like, no, thank you. No, I'm, I'm actually good. There were like really just... unhappily colonial women, like just wandering out into the woods. Oh, I tripped. Oh, my ankle. Help me. Please. I need some help. <laughs> Take me away from this place. <laughs> Yeah. Right. And yeah, no, they found, they like did DNA testing and those, they are related to, yeah. And it's just like, no, 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 it couldn't be, had to be murder ghosts. Had to be murder ghosts. Cannibal ghosts. So this book does not, I feel like it basically is still making the theory that are like, once we hit agriculture that we became evil, which is, I don't think is necessarily a hopeful history because it's still saying like, Okay, that's still we a can't lot unring that bell. Right. We can't. Right. Like I, I get really frustrated because I the reason the reason I'm reading this book is because a um the group that I talked about here before that we're reading sapiens with a group of kids. So this is a group of parents who were getting a little frustrated with that narrative of sapiens that, like, man, since agriculture, it's been all downhill. What do we do? And um, so this was kind of billed as sort of a counterpoint to that right like a a more hopeful look at human history but it still only is more hopeful up to that point and then it's like nope nope once we hit agriculture with it all goes and to be fair I'm only you know 154 pages into it and it's a big book so maybe it maybe it does something different by the end maybe we save ourselves with but like we were talking about it was like look it's not useful to talk about whether or not agriculture destroyed us because we like you said, we can't unring that bell. We can't get rid, like there's too many of us. We require this to survive. Like, why does it have to be this all or nothing mentality? Why can't we figure out like how to best live in the way? Like, I don't, I don't know. I get frustrated with the like, well, back in the day it was great. And now it is terrible. And now we're just stuck with terrible yeah it frustrates me I understand and I understand if mm, I yeah the only way we're getting back to that is something horrible will happen like totally globally shattering there we have to start rebuilding society and I don't I don't trust us to not do it all over again the same or worse or worse yeah oh what's that What's worse? How do we get worse than agriculture? We just skip agriculture and we, it's like idiocracy and we forget to even grow plants this time. <laughs> we don't have any food and we've know. already extincted all the, in- okay, stop. But yeah. between, between this and Elon Musk tweeting mm. Vladimir Putin, I don't, I'm not feeling super optimistic today. <laughs> no. Okay, well. well. So you might not ever hear this episode, listeners. <laughs> yeah, it depends on how that Elon Musk Putin face-off goes. But Michelle and I have both decided that there are many things we can control and be anxious about. And nuclear apocalypse is not in our control. And we're Elon Musk is not in that. my control. 
We're letting go of Elon Musk. We're letting go of nuclear apocalypse. We're letting go of him. Those two things. That's it. That's it. Every, Every, everything else we're still trying to control. Feel, yeah, we'll feel crippling anxiety and the need to control every other thing, except those two things we let drop. Um, and yet no one's impressed by all the balls we have in the air because right. it's just more than four. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so that's a lot. <laughs> so many costs. See, and someone's gonna interpret that in my uh my archive someday. Like she just like, thought she was so full of herself. She thought she could do so much. Like, no, yeah, that was a that yeah. was a callback. And fun, fun fact, she was a juggler, which really informs a life because by then juggler is slang for like, I don't know, murderer. <laughs> and then my legacy is ruined. Okay. My research thing. Um, yeah. 30th episode. We thought it was going to be short. Um, my research thing. Stop me. Please stop me. If I've, I'm excited about my research thing, um, but I think I might've done it before. <laughs> This is 30 episodes. <laughs> it's something I don't think I've officially done it before, but I think I have talked about parts of it because if you know me, if you've known me for more than 90 seconds, I've talked to you about this topic. So it's just going to be a thing. Pardon my voice giving, give, going out, by the way, everyone, I was yelling at mice all night. Well, only one um, mouse. Just one mouse. One There's very mouse- one very determined mouse. There's a mouse in my house who knows I'm not going to hurt it. Who knows I don't have it in me to hurt this mouse. And it knows it. And it is not afraid. And now the mouse, it's the mouse's house. She's going to have to move. I'm going to have to move. Um, or start paying the mouse rent or it's going to hurt me in my sleep. So maybe rent can be peanut butter. I've left a lot of peanut butter in no-kill traps and it's managed to eat them without setting off the trap so I am just now feeding it's a pet mouse I guess (laughs) I have a pet mouse everyone fun news so the cage is my house and the prison is your mind man okay so (laughs) my research thing come on a journey with me Michelle that's starting I think I have been but I'll (laughs) first I want to ask you Michelle if you had to guess what some of the strongest buildings in the world were where would you think they are and what kind of building it's a hard question but just on instinct strongest in terms of like can withstand an earthquake strong earthquakes natural disasters time anything i mean it seems like it would need to be something like subterranean are we counting that or does it have to be above the ground it's, I will tell you, it is above the ground. It is above, but it's stronger than subterranean or subterranean just doesn't count. Well, it's man-made. Okay. Well, we so make caves, things. We make subterranean yeah, things. We yeah. make basements. Yeah. But this is still just for. Okay. okay. Some kind of like mound hut. I don't like, okay. I feel like, I feel like it needs to be humble. It needs to be in the earth, right? No, no, no. But I think you're on the right track that it would be something unassuming, Mm -hmm. utilitarian, humble. No, some of the strongest buildings in the world, and I will link to my sources and academic journals on this, scientific journals and humanities journals. Some of the strongest buildings in the world 
are Filipino churches from like the 17 and 1800s. Okay. Yeah. Wouldn't expect that. Wouldn't expect a church to be some of the strongest buildings in the world. So they have withstood hundreds of years. And then in the Philippines, typhoons, volcanoes, earthquakes, you name it. These things are still standing. And we're going to talk about my favorite thing in the world, which is concrete and the use of concrete in the history of architecture. So why? Why are Filipino churches so strong? Why did I start this discussion with egg tarts? A lot of Filipino churches, especially from 1700s, 1800s onwards, use this process called argamaza. And argamaza is basically during um, Spain's colonial period, a little before, they would use millions upon millions of egg whites mixed into the concrete that they use to make these churches. And those egg whites make the concrete so much more durable in an amazing way that people still can't quite figure out. But then the fun flip side of that is that basically that's why so many Filipino desserts call for so many egg yolks and just egg yolks. If you look at Filipino desserts, egg tarts, um, leche flan, the pastries they make, they have cookies that just call for tons of egg yolks and not eggs. Tortas in the Philippines, especially rely on egg yolks. It's because all the egg whites were going to build churches and they had to, they had to find something to do with the egg yolks. So it's a waste, not want nut situation. You're going to have to crack all these eggs. Might as well get some delicious desserts. Exactly. I love that kind of symbiosis of architecture and cuisine. Really strong churches and delicious food. It's a, it's a win-win. So, um, so I was, that's, you know, I looked into that. I read some articles that they are very strong. These are some of the strongest buildings in the world. And that, and concrete is very strong. Concrete's a good material. I really like concrete. And this is where I think I might've talked about this, but I have more details. So don't tune out everyone. But the strongest concrete that we know about, the concrete that has truly lasted the longest, holds up to things like earthquakes. Concrete isn't usually great in earthquakes, but this concrete and these concrete buildings have held up in many earthquakes, what's going on is Roman concrete, ancient concrete from ancient Rome. And it is just more durable, so strong. It's very exciting because the Romans kind of invented, at least in like the quote unquote Western world, the Romans invented concrete. And this I have talked about that if you ever want to know what's the difference between Greek and Roman architecture, ancient Greek and ancient Roman architecture, is that the Greeks did not have concrete, the Romans had concrete. And so the Greeks only have post and lentil architecture, which is like vertical, horizontal, square angles. But the Romans had concrete. So that's where we start to get domes and beautiful big domes. And they found that the way they built these domes, the proportions they use and how they made them smaller, they built them in such a way that they can, the concrete can shift 
in an earthquake and be fine and just resettle. So they're very good for um, earthquakes, but Roman concrete, I'm going to read you a quote from Philip Brune, who's a researcher at DuPont Pioneer, and he studies the engineering of ancient Roman monuments. He said, it's the most durable building material in human history. And I say that as an engineer, not prone to hyperbole. So it's the strongest material that we as men, we as humankind have ever created. And that arises two questions. One question is, why is it so strong? And the other question is, why don't we use that then? Yeah, yeah. Those are my question. Like, okay. So the reason we have those two answers relate possibly, right? Yeah, because the reason we don't use it today is because we don't know why it's so strong. This has been a mystery. So I was thinking that it was strong in some way that was not sustainable, but we just don't even know. It might be. There's been a lot of theories thrown out and the major, the number one theory is, well, it used volcanic ash. We know from writings that they mixed volcanic ash in, but we have not been able to figure out the properties of that ash and why that makes it so strong. And some people think maybe the earth is so different now that the volcanic ash had different properties and those just don't exist now, but there's been an update in some of the te- uh, some of the understandings of Roman concrete, which they learned through underwater concrete technology. Romans would build things under water. They have a lot of like subterranean underwater buildings. That's especially hard. Things don't hold up in an ocean. Things don't hold up underwater. And so I read- Also, what were they for? That um, sometimes grottos, they were very big into grottos. And they like to, you know, like think Hugh Hefner Playboy Mansion where you go into a pool, but the whole thing can be underwater. Um, sometimes just purely decorative, sometimes for various gods, like here's here's this thing, ocean god. But now they're debating- are historians like, did they have underwater buildings or did they make the concrete underwater to make it strong? This is just the coolest thing to me. So I read American Mineralogist. It's called American Mineralogist. It's an academic journal. Um, it is an article called Philipsite and Al Tobermerite Mineral Cements produced through low temperature water rock reactions in Roman marine concrete. And this is the most fucking exciting thing that has happened to me all month is that article. It is by Marie D. Jackson et al. Dozens of other people in the sciences. And basically researchers at the University of Utah discovered that as seawater filters through the concrete that is now underwater um, made of age old Roman concrete the structures actually become increasingly stronger by being underwater because of the growth of interlocking minerals, including some minerals that are rare or expensive to cultivate in lab settings. So we haven't really been able to study this. These are very expensive and rare minerals. Basically, seawater percolate, the the water, the concrete goes into seawater, Seawater percolates through the concrete 
and it dissolves parts of the volcanic ash that was used in the construction. And that allows new minerals like tobert, tobermorite, philipsite, I'm probably butchering those, to grow from the leached fluids. And then those minerals are similar to the shape of the crystals in the volcanic rock, and they form interlocking plates and gaps within the ancient concrete. And it gets stronger and stronger and stronger over time. So not only does it hold up to time, the longer it's in the ocean, the stronger it gets, this concrete. So, so in order for it to be there though, they would have to create it. Cause it's not like, it's not like a mix you can make under the ocean and then right. out. It and has to, so you yeah, have to yeah. actually make the structure yeah. on the ocean floor. And then how did they get them out? That they don't know. And so now this is like, this is cracked it open and this is all up for debate. Like, were they doing prefab underwater things and pulling them out? They think probably not. Um, and so now it's even debated, did Romans know this? But we find a lot of these buildings um, up in piers and breakwaters it, around in the water, it's there. So like there is concrete hanging out in the water and the buildings are really strong. and to get stronger in salt water is the exact opposite of what modern day concrete does. It is worn down by the elements. It cracks, it gets really brittle. Um, it's compromised very quickly. So to have a concrete that acts in exactly the opposite way is really exciting. But part of the problem is, yeah, we don't know the recipe still. We know that this ash has these properties in it that gets leached out, makes new minerals within the concrete. Um, but yeah, that knowledge has been lost to time and we just can't find it, but we are, this is the closest we've ever been to finding it. And so we still don't know the exact answer or the exact recipe, but we know that maybe there's this really cool thing with ocean water and it's probably, it is the volcanic ash and then lime. We know that, but like, what's the volcanic ash? And we're getting closer with that too. It's probably pozzolanic ash, which is, which is a very special ash because the properties of that volcanic ash stops cracks in concrete from spreading. It works like if you have a run in your tights and you put nail polish on it, it's like that, which is, especially if you have concrete in an earthquake and it cracks, it stops cracking uncrackable concrete. So it's so good in earthquakes. Um, but it doesn't have a waste product that we use to make desserts. So what? From the egg whites. Oh, <laughs> I thought you meant concrete. I was like, I was like, what? Do I not know something about modern day concrete and that we eat it? That's the, that's the dystopic world we live in where I'm like, You're yeah, like, probably. Maybe we do eat concrete now. I love a concrete, but I didn't think there was concrete in my concrete. Um, do people, are those called concretes outside of like Missouri? I don't know. I, I think so. Any, I don't know. I think, that, I think that's, a, that's at least Midwestern yeah. germ, right? Like that's an thing. ice cream confection. It's called a concrete. No, right. Yeah. It's much more fun. I think we should bring back the egg white process because we know that recipe and then we get delicious desserts. So yeah, um, I read, yeah, I read American, who knew American mineralogists, that journal could be so exciting. That is but very it exciting. It blew my mind that there's a concrete that gets stronger in salt water 
And I always do think it's cool. Like we talked about this with the dinosaurs last episode where we often think it's just, you know, all forward, upward trajectory. We're the pinnacle of everything. But like, no, man, no, there are things the Romans, they had on us that we can't do. We've lost so much. Yeah. So maybe we don't um, keep a lot of things when we rebuild society after the nuclear apocalypse, but man, I hope we have a more concrete-based society. So- I'm Sorry, I'm just over here thinking about how we're gonna tie these things together. Yeah, yeah, I, let's get to it. Cause I'm like, Michelle has her thinking face on. And it is, you, you kind of, you, you had an idea of it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And now we threw in concrete. So where's your right, head at? All right, it's- Let's recap. Let's start yeah, there. Yeah, always good. So my weird thing was the wide range of costs of microwaves. And my weird thing is that ivermectin played a part on Gossip Girl. <laughs> my pop culture thing was the return of Tamagotchis. And my pop culture thing was the excellent podcast, Normal Gossip. My research thing was Willa Cather's letters um, and how secretive they were and then how they became revealed. And my research thing is what has made concrete stronger over time? A lecture by Catherine Guinness that you all for a rant by Catherine Guinness you're all forced to listen to. What makes what what does make concrete strong in past times? All right. Oh. Well, I think that there's pretty obviously a thread about passing information from one set of people to another, right? Because yeah. maybe not the microwaves. Let's <laughs> do that. All right, but we'll just leave them alone for a minute, setting the microwaves aside. But I feel like there's something there with how the price gap in microwaves is new. But I, I don't, is it like, I, maybe it's, maybe it's a knowledge gap, right? Like maybe like you just buy a microwave so infrequently that like you don't yeah. have the information for this particular process because it is such a rare one. Like, it's not like, you know, you don't go to the store to buy a loaf of bread every week. Like it's not, you're not up on the microwave pricing mechanisms. True. All right. But, yeah. but so is it too much of a stretch to just say that Gossip Girl is about <laughs> gossip? No, now you you say that Michelle, but I had a very different weird okay. thing that related to our last podcast very well, and I and as timely as it was, I didn't use it because I did think we could maybe preconnect normal gossip and gossip girl. So I did that um, on purpose, even okay. though it is tentative at best. But I mean, gossip girl is about gossip. Yeah, it's the whole structure. Yeah, yeah, and. Willa Cather's letters are obviously about gossip, right? Like, or, right. or this secretive information, information that is only supposed to be shared in one setting being shared in another setting, right? Yeah. Um, I feel like can't... even even the structure before they were officially released as gossipy about like, yeah. well, I heard the letters said, well, I heard the letters exactly. said. Exactly. Yeah. And Tamagotchis are a resurgence 
only because like my daughter didn't want one because she was like, Oh, what a cool device. She wanted one because a friend had one and it gives them something to talk about. Like it gives you this secret topic that you get to share and have this moment of like social, like, Oh, how is your Tamagotchi? Like it's, it's a, it's a social capital of sorts, right? Like a, right. Yeah. Um, and then the recipe for concrete did not get passed along over time, right? Like this is a secret from the past that we are trying to crack and get into this information that was not passed along. So I feel like that's related. Crack like an egg you would crack to put into a Filipino church's concrete. But but if I use that volcanic ash, it would stop right there. It would not crack any further. Exactly. Which is why we can't crack it. Wait, we're, I'm sorry. Well, (laughs) it is. We're, we're in it. You're, you're not getting our A game, but you're getting the best we can give. Yeah, this is the, we, we will never give you anything less than the best we can currently give you. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Might not be our best over time. But, but in this in moment, moment. <laughs> we even delayed it. We even, we even tried. <laughs> we waited till we were better. <laughs> <laughs> we're giving you our better. <laughs> It's not our best, but it's our better. <laughs> so the cost of microwaves, <laughs> like, but I mean, maybe that's something because it's so boring. We don't, we don't talk, talk about, about it. If it, you know, if so we don't, it's so also we don't not, have that knowledge. It's also no not enough knows. of an expense, you know, like, cause you do, you talk about like cars or even like refrigerators, you know, something Houses. that is a big enough yeah. expense. But like, this is just annoying. This is infrequent enough of an expense, but not a pricey enough expense that it becomes worthy of discussion. So it's just sort yeah. of like a topic no one talks about. So that's maybe how we lose knowledge. Like yeah. gossiping is actually helpful because it keeps things in, it keeps things up in the air and keeps it cycling. And the Romans thought concrete was so boring. Concrete's boring. We don't need to share this to know how to make concrete. Like concrete. you just make it. Just take your volcanic yeah. ash and go to the bottom of the ocean. Exactly. <laughs> but they, sorry, I'm going to cut myself off, but I'm like, it's so interesting for the implication. What did they do? How did they get there? Okay. Yeah. You're, yeah. You're talking to someone who was forced to teach architectural history and make it fun for herself. Against if her you will. did, you understood the assignment. Yep. Okay. Well then, okay. So, so we found the thread. Yeah. So now what are we going to say about it? Something about information passing it along keep it to yourself don't keep it to yourself if you keep it to yourself you don't keep it alive Ooh. keep it to yourself or keep it alive no there's something catchier there but i think maybe if you, if you keep say, it to say yourself, the first thing you said again if you don't keep it or if, if you, you keep it to yourself you don't keep it alive yeah gossip or, or you, kill it if you don't keep it to yourself, you do keep it alive. Um, XOXO gossip murderer. No. <laughs> you open that fortune cookie. Like, what is happening? You're really worried about what's happening in that fortune cookie writing studio. <laughs> oh, um, yeah keep it keep your mouth shut what is it what is it they said loose lips sink ships um oh yeah yeah yeah. but it's so it's it's not it's 
not sink ships it's loose lips make you smart kiddo <laughs> I, can't, I can't get there <laughs> loose lips something that loose lips with. keep Roman architecture <laughs> sunk <laughs> loose lips sink buildings into the ocean no um loose lips loose lips there are words mm. that rhyme with lips why can't i think there's of a any? lot there's a lot of words lips so, i just rhyme lips with lips technically that is a rhyme lips <laughs> flips clips dips lips. Loose lips prevent slips in knowledge. <laughs> dot, 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 in knowledge. In, in historical knowledge. Necessary for the functioning of an optimal society. Of a healthy society, yes. Um, uh, keep it to yourself. Keep it on, keep it to yourself. Keep it on the shelf. No, no. Um, don't keep it to yourself put it on the shelf like the library shelf because I'm, I'm sure. it's knowledge because it's knowledge eh, 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 eh. no no <laughs> Go- gossip save society be a gossip I, that's my favorite so far yeah save Just society like a- be a gossip be a gossip we um, need your gossip gossip is knowledge the more you gossip the more you know <laughs> right the more you know yeah the more you gossip, gossip the rainbow the more you know um so now we have you... a high-tech uh fortune cookie. For the fortune cookie it's like a holog- um, hologram <laughs> right because we've pat we've gossiped so we can get there as yeah, a society technology a holo- holographic fortune cookie technology brought to you um the more you gossip because it's the more you know the more you grow the more you gossip the, the more, more you know. society grows in cultural the more you gossip the more we know the more you gossip i mean we're very close yeah we might have to just recognize that this is not our a game and take a d game <laughs> go gossip <laughs> um i kind of like what was i saying about murder keep it to yourself and it dies no you said keep it to yourself if you keep it to no if you don't keep it to yourself you keep it alive yeah it's not catchy and it's actually confusing to the brain (laughs) The brain's like, wait, is, is there a double negative present? I can't. Is there is there like a, a share it or something that rhymes with share that means kill? Like sharing is caring. Gossiping is. Sharing is caring. Gossip and save a life. It's not, it's just not coming together. Wow. This um, is probably a sign that we need. Um. I don't know some self-care yeah this we're, we're good at this yeah this is this is episode we've had 29 practice practices leading up to this moment and we are falling down 
I bet there's some, if, if anyone is listening to us right now, they found the perfect one and they're like screaming it at their podcast. Yeah. Oh, this I've been this. It's so clearly this. I've been texted sometimes about the podcast to inform me about how much we missed. And then I have to tell that person we're doing it in the moment. Yeah. yeah. We haven't listened to ourselves for an hour and a half and then arrived at it. We're just yapping. <laughs> there's no reflection (laughs) it's a true joy um this is the reflection time we only just now start our reflecting all right when we start words that we have gossip kill (laughs) (laughs) share (laughs) can it just be that gossip kill live share what I just wrote intending for it to be a brainstorm was gossip comma kill comma live comma share comma care period and I kind of think that should be it when they find your archives Michelle how is that going to be interpreted what are they going to say I'm not responsible for what they do gossip kill live share care that will be your legacy mark my words the michelle library that's going to be like a in an arch engraved in concrete will be gossip live kill share she hit enter a bunch of times first so it was separate and on its own it must have been like her her life philosophy (laughs) yeah is that's tied to you oh it's gonna be your mausoleum whoop no, you're going to have, yeah, each, each like side of your beautiful mausoleum, gossip, live, kill, share. That's it. That has to be it. I mean, that's yeah. it. Your yeah. fortune cookie is you crack it open and it is Michelle. Gossip, kill, live, share, care. <laughs> Which she knows because she read it because she wrote it down. <laughs> gossip, live, kill, share, care. We'll be better soon <laughs> or much worse. Either way, either way, it'll be, I, either way, it'll be worth tuning in for 31. Congrats, Michelle, my friend on 30 episodes. Congrats, 30 just, is impressive. I'm staking out this time um, to really get to share time with you. I love it. Me too. Okay. Goodbye, everybody. <laughs> Goodbye. Goodbye.